The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome to the Chronic Podcast Monday edition. I'm your host, Ralph Marlboro. As always, we're joined by Andrew Jude of the Saints Nation. He breaks down the film and gives us the analy- analyzation, whatever. That's not even a word. See, Andrew, I'm so confused because the Saints um, dropped the 41 nothing ass-kicking on Tampa, which you could have laid out any scenario to me, and I would have believed you except if you had said Tampa's not going to score. Uh <laughs> Seriously, you could have been like, it's going to be 50 to nothing. Tampa, it's going to, Drew Brees is going to score 50. It's going to, you know, if somebody's going to run for 300 yards, like any scenario, I would have been like, okay, that's possible. But if you said the Saints are going to shut out Tampa, I'd have been like, there is no way that is happening. Yet, it happened. I was in the States. Well, you know, uh, Jim Haslett had a great quote after that loss to Jacksonville. <laughs> and a reporter uh asked Hazlitt after John Carney missed that extra point that, you know, Jim, you said earlier in the season that you would bet your life if the game came down to John Carney kicking it. And he said, yeah, well, I'd be a dead man. That's how I feel about this this game. Um, you know, if you had told me the Saints, I would bet my life the Saints would not shut out an opponent. And uh, right now I'd be a dead man. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, with with as far as the the game itself, I mean, you could tell, and, and you know, five minutes into it, I, you know, I turned to my mom and I said, "The Saints aren't the Saints aren't losing this game. Tampa, they can't stop the Saints from throwing the ball, and the Saints are going to score thirty. And I figured, you know, it would be one of those thirty-five, twenty-one, thirty-five, twenty-eight games, maybe. But Andrew, the Saints, the just the defense was. Fantastic! They were as good attack. They did everything perfect. They, the tackling was great. They 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 were great open field tackling. The coverage was great. The pass rush was, I would say, it's as good as the Saints can be. I mean, I, I still think let's not be fooled and think that this defense, you know, bring everybody back and everything will be fine. I still think they need a lot of work on the pass rush, but I mean. You can't ask for anything more out of literally out of this bunch. I think they they were they were tremendous. What of the defensive performance stuck out to you the most? Well, you know, for me, two things. You know, you ask me the most, and I always I, it's funny every time you ask me to pick one thing, I always get like two or three. <laughs> but um, but no, I, I mean, it was really was such a complete performance. I, I think it would I'd be remiss in not pointing out a few things just because. It really was more than one. And I think when you stop an offense that soundly, um, it really has to be kind of like a pitcher pitching a perfect game. You know, and, and when a pitcher pitches a perfect game, he's not throwing fastballs down the middle every time. He's painting the corners. He's mixing speeds. Um, so, anyway, it really felt like that. I mean, it all started with Doug Martin absolutely getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage and the interior just controlling it. Linebackers tackling well. Um, the coverage was outstanding. Jabari Greer was great, but particularly the young safeties. Raphael Bush and Isab Dulkadud um, played the best tandem safety game uh, by far this season. Um, their, their play was outstanding. But I think more than anything, for me, what was most impressive, you know, if you look at the stat sheet and you see only two sacks, you think, oh, well, maybe the Saints didn't pressure Josh Freeman that well. But that would be false. Freeman did a good job of getting rid of the ball, and a lot of times he got rid of it and threw it incomplete or threw an interception. But um, the pressure was outstanding. And if you look, um, you know, not many stat metrics show knockdowns, quarterback knockdowns. Um, but if you find, you know, a statistic that show, I believe ESPN shows it, um, I believe I counted 11 quarterback knockdowns. Will Smith had five. Junior Gallette had four. And so – no, they were not getting sacks, but when you talk about generating that kind of pressure with a four-man rush, 
the result is Route 4 intersections. And yeah. so when you talk about, you know, the, the no-catching motherfuckers and you talk <laughs> about um, the, the lack of turnovers, um, turnovers don't just fall in your lap. The, the quarterbacks in this league are too good. They, if you give them time, eventually receivers will get open, and the quarterbacks are just too accurate. And the way you get interceptions is by disrupting passing lanes, getting in their face, hitting them, and that's exactly what the Saints did. And, you know, I think we're all left wondering well, why this took so long, but um, it sure felt good to watch it. Yeah, and I mean, like you said about the, the pressure, the, you would rather, if you tell me, look, the Saints can get five sacks against Tony Romo or they can hit him 20 times, you want to hit him 20 times. You, you yeah, want absolutely. that quarterback uncomfortable. And, um, you know, the, the, the hardest thing for me um, with the Saints as far as the defense is, the decisions that they're going to have to make. I think, look, Cam, Cam Jordan, he is – I think he's just – he's getting better and better, and I'm willing to rethink him as a borderline elite pass rusher. Maybe. Me and you still are kind of on the same page where he doesn't show that closing speed to be really, really elite. But, Andrew, I'm starting to think he might be, instead of like a solid guy, he might be a B-plus borderline Pro Bowl guy. Maybe so, Ralph. You know, he, he's to me, he's already arrived as a run stopper. You know, he's already arrived as a, um, as a you know, a Pro Bowl run stopper. Um, I, I still think he has a way to go with, with uh, pass rushing. But look, there's two games left, and he's got eight sacks on the season. So um, double-digit sacks, probably not going to happen, but he certainly has a shot. And uh, if you had asked me before the season, does he have any shot at double-digit sacks, I would have told you no. I would have told you flat out, um, you know, I, I think his ceiling is maybe six to seven and a half for a whole season. So, um, you know, color me impressed. He's gotten better. I, I still don't think he's ever going to be, you know, Alden Smith and, and be, you know, an 18-sack guy or anything like that. But, um, you know, his ceiling could easily be at Will Smith. And, uh, you know, Wolf Smith's prime was a fantastic defense. was a Pro Bowl defensive end, for the Saints. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think um, the key for the Saints, in, look, in the offseason is to, is, to, is to add to the pass rush. The interesting thing about this defense, before we get to the young kids in the secondary, where do you think this linebacking core is? Because, look, that was the main thing in the offseason. They went and got Curtis Lofton, home run home run hire. They got Chris Chamberlain from the Rams. He blew out his knee, unfortunately, so he's been he's been on IR. Hawthorne has been injured. They mixed with Casillas and Shanley and different things. Where are they, you believe, with this linebacking core? And are, and are you okay if they say, you know what, we just need to get, get Hawthorne healthy, keep Lofton healthy, and get Chamberlain back and have Casillas... Where are they at linebacker, you think, heading to 2013? I wish I had, you know, the the, the perfect answer for you, but <laughs> I, I really don't know. Um, and the reason I say that is I, I still don't know what's going to happen with Vilma. Um, I mean, I think we have to assume he's gone. Um, and, and certainly I, I think he's at a point where, you know, his, his benefits maybe are outweighed by the negatives at this point. He's just his limitations physically. So, um, you look at who's returning. I mean, Shanley's done. Yeah. Um, so you look at who's returning. I mean, obviously I feel great about Curtis Lawson. We all should. Um, Hawthorne, I think the jury's still out. I think this season you label it as a disappointment. But um, when you consider that he had the meniscus tear that kept him out for most of preseason and, and the beginning of the year, and then he followed that up with a hamstring injury, uh, he's basically been running on one leg all season. And he's finally, the last few games, started to play a little bit better um, thanks to um, healing. But, uh, you know, it's just hard to say. He, he he could have been a lot better, you know. And, and so I, I think based on what you've invested in him, the Saints believe in him. So I think he's penciled in as a starter next year. But, um, you know, I, I'm certainly not sold on him. Um, and then you're left with no one else, really. I mean, Casillas is probably going to come back. You know, you hope Chamberlain can come back from a pretty serious injury. Um, but I think you look at that position and you think to yourself, that's got to be something they address in free agency or the draft again, um, because I still think they're missing um, one quality starter to, to be 
consistent. Yeah, I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. That's why I think that the whole thing with getting that second round pick back from Goodell, because oh, because that's a spot in that in that you know right now. Well, they won on Sunday, obviously. So and and they'll you know they may win again. So if they're seven and nine, they'll be picking in that thirteen to seventeen range. But that's still going to be a pick in the forty-five to fifty range. That's where you can get that linebacker that's sort of that hybrid guy maybe where teams aren't sure where to play him. And Spagnuolo likes those guys where you can play him at end, you can play him at linebacker, you can do different things with him. So that's where, you know, or you can get a, a like Spagnuolo likes the tweet, the guy on the defensive line where you can put him inside on third down, you can play him at end on, on uh, early down. So they like that flexibility. And look, they're not, you know, a lot of people not, I don't, you know, me and you weren't, but a lot of people were saying, hey, Spags, one year, get him out, he's done. That, that's not happening. If anything, the Saints are going to be even more committed to Spags' scheme. He'll have a full year, probably even more influence, I would bet, on personnel because he can say, look, my defense is catching on now. Let's get some guys that can really that, – that I know will really fit my scheme. So that's why that second-round pick is important for the defense. Um, the safeties, Andrew uh, – Let's let's be really positive in this podcast because hey, they won forty-one nothing. If they get two more good showings out of these two safeties, what do you do in the off season? Uh, you know what, Ralph? You go into two thousand thirteen with Isa Abdul Kadus as your starter at free safety. You go into two thousand thirteen with Raphael Bush as your starting strong safety. You have Roman Harper as your nickel linebacker, which is what they had him playing predominantly in in that game. Or what you could do is have um, him playing um, starting strong safety on running downs and then move him to nickel linebacker and then put Rob Delbush in the game. So you've got you can mix and match a little bit there. And you move Malcolm Jenkins back to nickel corner. Um, and so he's playing behind Patrick Robinson and Greer. Um, and that, 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 that's what I would do because I, I think right now, I mean, we'll see what happens in these last two games, but even leading up to this point, I was telling you that I saw a lot of these two players and every time they were getting an opportunity, they were making big plays and that I liked them a lot. And, uh, both of them just completely reinforced how I felt about them in this game. So we'll see how the next two games go, but, um, well, Carper and Jenkins have been trash all year, and I just don't think you can ignore how these young kids are playing. And if they keep at this pace, um, you've got to you've got to have them as starters, you know. And I, I don't care if that means you move Carper to a different role or if that means you've got to cut him. Um, but you know, NFL is all about production, and if the veterans have gotten to the point where they're getting outperformed by the younger guys, then it's time to cut bait. Yeah, and the thing is, for the look, you know, we we said it last week when they lost, and it was five and eight. It's preseason games in December, and look, I know, I know the mathematics for the playoffs. If, if a meteor hits and everybody that has eight wins loses out the rest of the way, the Saints can still get in. But the the fact of the matter is, these last two games are are for evaluation, and to me, that yeah. means that it's a it's a very good thing that they're playing Dallas. Dallas desperately needs the game because they have a serious chance to make the playoffs, and they have Tony Romo, and they have Witten, and they have Des Bryant, and they have Miles Austin, and they're going to throw the ball all over the place, and these safeties are going to get tested very, very much so, more so than they did against Tampa, more so than they did against the Giants even, Andrew. So I think it's a, it, it'll be a big test, and if they come through again in Dallas, then you got – then I think – I'll be willing to listen to, hey, you might have something. Um, no, and look, you're exactly right. I mean, I'll, I'll put down the anointing oil for a second. I mean, yeah. before we talk about these guys as starters, you know, I'm fully aware they could come in next Sunday against the Cowboys and absolutely get torched yeah. and, and look like idiots. And, and, you know, there's a good chance of that. They're fixing to get offense. So, um, and, you know, obviously if you see that, then that makes you uh, reconsider and you evaluate, okay, what do these guys give you and, and what do these guys not give you? But, um, the, the main thing that I was impressed with was the ball skills. And, uh, you know, I think we've seen enough of Malcolm Jenkins and Roman Harper to know um, both of those guys have very poor ball skills. And uh, I think we've seen with the little we've seen in Isa abdul Kadus and Raphael Bush, um, those guys have had better ball skills and, and they're creating more turnovers and limited playing time 
than Jenkins and Harper have in an entire season. Yeah. Um, you know, and this, this isn't the first time. I mean, this is Caduce's second pick. And if you remember his first pick, I mean, it, it was an insane jump on the ball. Um, it was incredible. And then Raphael Bush had that strip against Michael Turner that he recovered and ran back for a touchdown. It was called back. But, I mean, amazing awareness. And, I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff that defense needs. They need to play with a little more aggression. and They need to go after the ball aggressively. Yeah, and look, ball skills, I think, is one of those things for a safety that you can't really teach it. You can teach a guy where to line up. You can teach him how to tackle. You can teach him the proper angles. You can teach him the disguise coverages and other things. But, Andrew, ball skills is one of them things. Either you got it or you don't. It's like Darren Sharper had it. Sammy Knight back in the day, he was undrafted, but his ball skills were so freaking good, the Saints were like, we don't care that we drafted Rob Kelly in the second round. Sammy Knight, just wherever the ball was, he was there. And it's I just yeah. think it's something you, you either – you either got it or you don't, and I don't think a coach can a coach can teach you many things. But it's almost like it's almost like speed and shiftiness for a running back. You you, you know you can't all the moves Barry Sanders used to make and Reggie Bush take look. You know you, a coach can't teach you how to do that. You either got it or you don't. Well, I mean, but that's the thing. You know, Sammy Knight. I, I think in this time and age, this day and age, we've gotten so in love with the measurables and yeah. you know the coaches fall into that trap. How big is he? You know, how much does he bench press? How fast of a forty does he run? I can tell you that Sammy Knight looked terrible in all those measurables. Terrible, and he was slow. He's slow as bricks, but he was successful as a safety because he made up for a lot of ground with lack of speed, with instincts, and he was able to anticipate and, and read much better than uh, than a lot of other players. I mean, a perfect example of that in baseball, if, if you're baseball fans out there, Mark Kotze. Not that fast of a player, but uh, he was one of my favorite center fielders to watch. I don't know if he still plays. He's definitely pretty old now if he's still playing. But um, he would never—he would never make the high, highlight reel catches because he always had such a great jump on the ball. He would get there with plenty of time to spare, and and it's just—he it, was all about anticipation. And for him, so he was never flashy, and he was never making those ridiculous, you know, jumping over the wall catches or diving catches in front of him. But he was one of the best center fielders in baseball because he was able to anticipate. And so, you know, football is the same way. You know, it's not just about speed and ability. It's also about a feel for the game. And, and I mean, you know, again, Drew Brees, for all his, his qualities, and he's a terrific athlete, I mean, he's overcome a lot despite, you know, missing some measurables. So, um, you know, it, it's important to get good athletes, but it's also important to get good football players. Yeah, and I mean you you can safety safety is one of those positions where you really can kind of you can kind of you can kind of cut corners on the measurables. You know, there's certain positions like you really need the measurables, like defensive tackle and defensive end and linebacker. Yeah. You need you just you, you for every Sam Mills there is, there's 20 other ones that are you just need the size, you know. You can na- you can name the undersized linebackers on like one hand that have been great in the NFL. But safeties, sure. you know, guys that can't really run or this or that or, or a little undersized, you know, Pat Tillman, Sammy Knight. I mean, you can name you can they, there's a there's a couple more that I that you could name. Um, but we'll see, Andrew. The the thing is that yeah, you, I mean, not to belabor the point, but the frustrating thing about Jenkins is when he was drafted. We knew he was slow. We knew he was kind of a corner-slash-safety hybrid. But what we were promised was, don't worry, he's a football player. He's the second coming of Darren Sharper. He's going to have amazing ball skills. And that's where I feel like the Saints screwed the pooch a little bit because, you know, nothing against Jenkins. I'm not throwing him in the fire. I'm not saying he's awful. I mean, he's definitely had some amazing moments as a player for the Saints. But um, I I think he has under-delivered. Um, from the promise and the expectation that he was going to be this back-end ball hawk. Yeah, I mean, they haven't – the thing is with the Saints on a lot of draft picks on defense, especially, you know, Malcolm Jenkins, Cedric Ellis, they weren't whiffs. You know, they weren't Jonathan Sullivan draft pick bad. But right. they're just – okay, they're just guys, you know, that you could, you know. Um, so that's the thing. Another guy that's been coming on really strong, Joe Morgan, um, and look, they had a lot of different people, me included, that said, what are they doing? He, Why are they keeping this guy? Um, he kind of caught a break. He really he really struggled in the preseason, Andrew. And you can make a case that if not for some injuries, 
he wouldn't even have made the team. Um, they stuck with him. Give him credit. Give Henry Ellard credit. He's coming on. And you want to talk – he has a knack, Andrew, for whatever reason, that he went from not being able to catch anything to – he made a catch. It didn't count yesterday on the sideline, but it was a hell of a catch. Um, he He might be – uh, potential. I think his. I think he might be a poor man's Devery Henderson would be his floor, and I think his ceiling might be Robert Meacham, but a little bit better. I'm with you. I mean, he's already he's already made huge strides as a blocker. So uh, you know, I think at first he was kind of a liability because he was a one trick pony, but at least now he can hold his own doing some other stuff out there. So that's all they really need out of him, and and. Um, you know, I, I think at times when he's running down the sideline, he's not getting quite the separation that Meacham and Henderson got in their prime, so I don't think he's maybe quite as fast as those guys. Um, but he's starting to show that maybe he has better hands, at least on the deep ball. And uh, that's kind of shocking because, I mean, it wasn't even the preseason. I mean, three games into the season, he was so awful and dropping so many passes. We were all calling for his head and saying, get rid of this guy. They were playing Courtney Roby at receiver. Courtney Roby was so let's getting play, Let's play Courtney Roby and Greg Camarillo because yeah. this guy can't cut it. So um, we, I think we were both dead wrong about him. And he's really uh, he's really coming on strong. And, uh, I mean, I, I think barring injury, his roster spot is absolutely locked up for next year. He's proven what he can do. He can stretch the field um, and, and – uh, he is the next iteration of this offense. You know, this offense needs that vertical threat to stretch the field to give Breeze the underneath, um, which is where Breeze becomes so lethal. And uh, we talked about this all season. We said, you know, when is the offense going to come around? You know, when are they going to snap out of this? And, uh, you know, I, I think it just took time for teams to get beat and hurt by Joe Morgan. And, um, you know, next year they're going to respect him more and it's going to open things up for Breeze. Yeah, the, look, the Saints won forty-one nothing. There's not really anything negative to say. The one thing I will say is, Grant, Jimmy Graham, he, you know, he's got the drop. He's had the drops. He's had, he, you know, they said last week he's got the injured wrist. But to me, Andrew, not only is he struggling to catch the ball, he doesn't look like the same player as far as the confidence. You know, last year he would make catches. He would he would yell. He was kind of cocky. Um, this year, I think he's really, really in a funk, and you could see it even, even, even against Tampa. He made some catches. I mean, he had a he had one drop. He had one drop that was in the end zone. It was a good play by Tampa, I think. So I, I kind of let him slide on that one. But I just don't. I think he is not only struggling. I think he's. You can see it in his demeanor that he has lost that confidence. Um, but. You could say it's a, it is a negative, but to me it's also a good thing in that he's not in denial as a player. And the last thing you'd want him to to be is still be the barking, arrogant point after a first down when you just had when you just dropped three balls and you the fourth one you caught it, so you're acting like a jackass. To me, you like Jeremy Shockey? Exactly. So at least to me, it shows that he that sort of Jimmy Graham. He knows he's in a funk. He's fighting it, and he's down on himself, but. He knows it, and he's not trying to hide or, or, or sort of bark his way out of it like some players. And, you know, yeah, it's been a rough year, but by no means am I ready to sort of, um, sort of, sort of throw, throw him to the dogs, obviously. But, but what do you see from him uh, or what teams have done? Is there, is there anything coverage-wise that you've seen teams doing differently that maybe is, has forced his struggles? Well, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't really pick up on this until the time the key pointed out. I think it was Mike Triplett that pointed it out, but, um, or is it Mark Triplett? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, Bob Triplett. But, um, anyway, uh, he, uh, I did watch it, you know, kind of in slow-mo on some of the plays, and I did notice that more teams are doing this. Um, the Basically, when, when a snap is coming, the defensive lineman, instead of just rushing straight, he's kind of peeling back and giving Graham a nudge. And so he's basically getting frozen at the line of scrimmage to slow his, his, uh, his route development by even half a second. And then, and then they go into their pass rush after that. And so – you know, that, that's, that's delaying his route, and, you know, obviously that's a bigger body being put on him. 
right at the line of scrimmage, and so he's not getting that separation early. And uh, then you've got a linebacker or a defensive back in the second layer behind him. So teams aren't doing that last year. You know, he was basically running off the line three. And, you know, when, when a player, when a non-defensive end played in a man-to-man press, I mean, they had no shot. I mean, he would just destroy him off the line. Um, so, so that's helped. That's helped slow him down. But I, I think more than anything, I mean, that's an adjustment that Jimmy Graham can easily make. That's the real problem is when they come out and set it, it's his wrist. And, um, you know, that explains a lot. Obviously, if your wrist is in a lot of pain, um, you know, he's, he's struggling to catch the football because of it. And, um, you know, one thing I, I'm curious about is, are the Saints going to get in trouble for this? Because they say that this is something he's been dealing with all season. And you're supposed to report injuries. And uh, the Saints have said it's something he's been dealing with all season, but now they're finally coming out and saying it. So I wonder if they have, you know, made some sort of infraction uh, well, with the but, NFL. So. But, I mean, does it does – it, um, does, uh, does the injury – if I, if I practice – like – I don't know the injury rules completely, but if, say, you know, I, if I practice, Andrew, and I practice full, don't the Saints just have to say, Ralph, practice full today? I might have had a busted knee, but if I practice full every day, you don't got to list me. But if I. No, they, they're supposed to. The technical rule is you have to report all okay. injuries. So you have to say, you know, Jimmy Graham had a wrist, he was full. Yeah. Um, or what have you. So, anyway, I mean, you know, I, probably, worst case, it'd probably be a fine, but with Goodell, you never know. But, um, but anyway, so I, I think the risk explains a lot, you know, and, and obviously, uh, I think it's kind of affected everything. You know, I think he, he's dropped a couple. He's lost some confidence. Um, he's not running his routes as hard. He's, he still does the high degree of difficulty thing. You know, he did it again last week or, or this Sunday where he's, reaching out with one hand instead of reaching out with two. I, I don't understand why. I mean, and, and again, you know, Ralph, that's just, it's poor technique. And no one has ever confused Jimmy Graham with having good technique. If anything, it's pretty piss poor. Um, and he gets away with it because he is a ridiculous specimen in size and an incredible athlete. And um, so, you know, you take the bad with the good. But, you know, we knew this. He was a developing raw player when we drafted him. And he's still got a long way to go from a technique standpoint. And, um, you know, hopefully he'll get better. But, uh, you know, that, that that's the frustrating thing. And, obviously, I think the injuries have played a part. But, uh, you know, even when he is getting demonstrative on the field, I agree with you. It's, it's kind of more of a negative or a frustrated um, type of energy as opposed to, you know, kind of goofing off or getting the crowd riled up. So, yeah. I mean, um, last year, you, you know, I, like you said, I kind of appreciate that, though. You know, he, he's recognizing that the situation sucks. Yeah, and look, I mean, he's still he's played football for four years. I mean, you know, let's. I still think he and and is and is he just he's been for tight ends. He's still a top ten, top five guy, even by stats this year. You know, it's just last year he had the greatest season a tight end maybe he's ever had. So yeah, you know, look, Gronkowski had the same problems this year. He had a bad hip all year, and then, yeah. um, you know, he finally was out for the year due to an injury. Um, so, you know, I mean, it happens. You know, he, he's had a slump this year, and part of it's injuries, and part of it's adjustments by other teams, and he'll bounce back. You know, I mean, he, he's still a guy you want on your roster for sure. Yeah, um, you know, I, when I was reading the, the the different blog entries, and we, you know, we like them all. Saints win and angry Houdat and different ones. Houdat uh, Social Club. Um, the 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 one interesting thing that I thought Angry Houdat uh, said today was that you know the the forty one to nothing game that the Saints laid on Tampa, you know that proved that the Saints because they kicked ass and they looked like the two thousand eleven Saints finally that proved that it wasn't coaching that it was the players was the main reason they're six and eight, and I'm going to disagree with him, Andrew. And this is my theory. You know, we talked all off season and preseason. What would be what would it be when Sean Payton, what would we, where would they miss him? You know, what would it be? Would it be game day adjustments? Would it be this? Would it be that? And we saw it a little bit in the Atlanta game where they, Drew Brees botched the clock and different things. But my theory is, Andrew, the one thing that's really starting to come into focus, and Joe Vitt mentioned it going into this week, is the Saints have trouble overcoming adversity in the game. And against Tampa, Andrew, they didn't have any adversity at all. It was smooth sailing from the start. The only thing that was even close to adversity was Darren Sproles dropped what would have been an 85-yard touchdown pass. 
mm-hmm. was it. The rest of it was no bumps, no no adversity at all. And the Saints under Sean Payton in 09, 10, and 11 were 18 and 7 uh, on the road those three years. This year they're 2 and 5. They've gotten hammered twice, and Drew Brees had a five interception game uh, on the road in Atlanta. To me, Andrew, on the road is where adversity happens. And games in the NFL aren't smooth sailing. And it's when you got adversity, when the other team has a better plan than you, when you have go three and out twice, when you go three and out twice and have a fumble. And I just think, for whatever reason, Joe Vid and, Carm- and, and, and Carmichael, and they're just – they can't overcome it. And I think that has been the biggest thing that you can point to as – the Saints without Sean Payton suck when they go on the road. I'm I'm buying in fully with your theory, you know, and, and no disrespect to Reed who does a, a fantastic job. For it was an, actually it was Angry Hudat, but oh, it was Angry Hudat. Yeah. Okay, well, both both of them, I, I recommend their blogs highly and, and respect their opinions. I think they're very smart fans, and I enjoy the stuff they put out there. But um, respectfully, I, I disagree with the notion that it's not coaching and. I'm on I'm on par I'm on board with your theory, Ralph. And the main reason for that is, like you said, um, teams practice all week a certain game plan. And when you come into a game and it works, uh, like it did against the Bucks, um, then it's the perfect game plan. And the coaches did a great job, and the Saints did a great job of executing it. And some weeks are going to be like that, you know, where you come in with a perfect game plan and there's no need for adjustments. Um, you know, that that's kind of the perfect storm. More times than not, when you go into games, it's not going to be like that. And uh, sometimes the game plan is so wrong, you've got to throw throw out everything that you practice during the week on the fly, and you have a short window to make quick adjustments, make the right adjustments, communicate them to the players, and have them executed on the field. And that's where Sean Payton's genius, in my opinion, has missed the most. Um his ability to um, think on the fly, make adjustments on the fly, read and react. What are these guys doing? How are we going to respond to it? Um, and, look, I, I think Joe Vitt is a good coach. I think he's a great motivator. And I do think that um, what the Saints missed with Sean Payton in terms of motivation and in terms of, um, you know, just uh, fire, they have, for the most part, gotten out of it. I think he's done a decent job of replacing Payton in that capacity. Um what I don't think the Saints have had is that I don't see him as a, as a in-game strategist. I don't see him as a guy that can X's and O's, see what another team is doing and come up with, devise some creative um, game plan to attack, you know, the safeties or something like that. And that, that, that's Sean Payton's genius. And I do think Carmichael and, and Spagnola were a little bit on their own, you know, this year with that. And, and when you're a coordinator, you need that head coach that, that's a different set of eyes that tells you, no, no, I don't like what you're doing here. I think you should consider this or, you know, we should go with this. And and um, so, you know, it's another set of eyes. And, and you know, I, I don't think that in that capacity really could offer much, um, at least compared to Sean Payton. Well, and, I just... uh, so like, like I said, I, I think once the game plan was out the window, Carmichael and Spags just didn't do as good of a job um, adjusting. Yeah, and I – look, you know – I pulled up Angry Hudat's thing. We like to focus on different bloggers. You know, he said, look, the players on the field have not delivered consistently while proving that they are capable. Sean Payton would have made the team better, but his absence is not responsible for the totality of failures of 2012. And that's true in a sense, but but I really believe that Sean Payton is worth two to three wins. And if the Saints had Sean Payton, I think their record would be flipped. The thing would be is... Their offense would still be playing well, and if if the Saints were eight and six and had just come off a forty-one to nothing shutout, and maybe needed still needed a little help to get in the playoffs, Andrew, we'd, what would we be saying on this podcast? We'd be saying, you know what? Just get us in, motherfucker. Our defense is ready to go. They finally have figured it out, and everybody would be like, please, you know, Atlanta would be shaking in their fucking boots, saying, oh God, please do not let the Saints come here and have to play us a third time, you know. So mm-hmm. I really think, look, Sean Payton, a coach in the NFL matters that much, um, you know, and it'll be interesting um, to see 
how they play in Dallas because that'll be a really hostile, really hostile environment, um, and it probably benefit the Saints to lose just because if they win, it puts Jason Garrett on shakier, shakier ground, which means Sean Payton comes in to play to coach Dallas. So it probably benefits the Saints to lose, so they'll probably win by two touchdowns. Right. Um, um, but uh, Drew Brees, I thought, played his best game uh, since Green Bay. Um, what did you see out of him? that was besides the interceptions that was different than uh the last the last three weeks? Uh, not all that much. I mean, you know, obviously the Saints ran the ball well and that always helps, but um protection was decent. Um but I think he was just more careful with the football. You know, I, I think when he uh didn't have something he threw it away, threw it at the feet of, of the running back and, and and in general I think he uh I mean this is more theoretical and less game tape, but I just think he played more relaxed. The game didn't yeah. matter. The playoffs were over, and I just think he played with less pressure on his shoulders. And, I mean, I, the result is always going to be better, I think, when you're playing a little looser and, you know, you're not worried about other stuff. Yeah, the, the, of course, they, they have another game this weekend, Andrew. They go to Dallas, and technically, look, they're not uh, they're not technically eliminated from the playoffs, but basically, as soon as Another team in the NFC gets to nine wins, um, they're going to be eliminated. They're going to be eliminated, right. basically. But, you know, in theory, they play, they play Dallas, and if the Saints beat Dallas and Baltimore beats the Giants and Houston beats Minnesota, we could all be watching the Arizona Cardinals playing the Bears and – Needing Arizona to win for the Saints to stay alive for one more week, um, which it's not that far fetched. But this game in Dallas, uh, like we said before, it, it interests me because I think it's a great, it's a great evaluating tape to see. Hey, this defense has come along in the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know they were getting better even as you know Drew Brees was melting down and they were in this three game skid. Um, what are you, what are you thinking? is going to happen in Dallas with this defense and how they've progressed? How do you see it going? Um, I mean, obviously, I think this is a much tougher offense to face, especially on the road. Um, and like you said, Dallas is playing for their playoff lives, and I don't expect them to lay the egg that, that the uh, Bucks did. And, you know, let's face it, I mean, it, as good as the Saints played, Josh Freeman was horrible. Oh, I don't Lord, was he? Yeah, I mean, I mean, he had one of the worst games I've ever seen him play, and so I don't expect that from Romo at all. So, but he's capable, well, he's capable of the Aaron Brooks four-interception special in a big game. He is capable. He is. I just don't see it happening at home against the team that's eliminated. But I could be wrong. You know, we'll see. But, uh, you know, I, I think more than anything, um, what you want to see from the Saints is, once again, controlling the line of scrimmage. I feel like Right now they're covering pretty good. If they get in obvious pass rushing situations, they're getting a little pressure. And if they can just continue to, to stop the run like they have been, especially early in the game, control the line of scrimmage, get them in third log situations, they're going to have success again, no doubt about it. Yeah, the, the interesting thing is I'll be interested to see if the Saints carry over that looseness that they seem to have against Tampa. Because let me tell you something, you know, all the pressures on Dallas, and I could see the Saints coming out and being, fan, you know, Dallas's mo this whole year has been let's fall way behind and see if Tony Romo can pull a Houdini out of the hat. They, you know, they've they've done it sometimes. They did it against Cleveland. They didn't quite do it against the Giants yesterday against Pittsburgh. They kind of did it. They got some breaks. Um, so it'll be, it'll be. It'll be really interesting, and as of now, Andrew, I'm leaning towards something that uh, the Angry Houdat said in his column that somebody tweeted that said, look, the way this season has gone for the Saints, it has been so agonizing and painful for the fans that there just has to be some painful, horrific ending the last week of the year involving the playoffs that will just rip our heart out one more time. So 
it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Saints go into Dallas, look spectacular, win again, and they're still alive going into the final week. And we are either watching game, multiple games on multiple screens if you have the Sunday ticket, or you're checking your phone fever, feverishly in the dome if you're at the Carolina game, and we get our heart ripped out some kind of way, and it can just be the final insult to all the shit that's happened to them this year. Yeah, that would be the perfect ending, wouldn't it? Um, but I, I, I kind of go back to the coaching and the struggles they've had within game adjustment, adjustments and, and thinking on the fly and, and dealing with adversity. And so I, I, I pick them to lose this game against Dallas. You know, I think the Tampa game was great, uh, but I don't think it has any impact on the next game. And uh, they're facing a good team that's desperate and at home. And, uh, you know, I think it's one thing when you get out to a big lead, you're playing well and you're in front of your fans. But um, the Saints are, for all intents and purposes, eliminated. And so they really don't have anything to play for. And so I, I really believe if there's a team that fights them tough and hits them in the mouth hard enough, they're probably not going to want any part of it just because, again, they don't have much to play for. Um, so I could be wrong, but I'm kind of picking Dallas to win this game. It'll be it'll be interesting. I you know, part of me part of me still is like just lose lose finish six and ten and get in the top ten. But part of me is just like you you go to the games or you're watching it on TV and my I think Andrew, if the game is close, I want him to win just because I have a deep burning hatred of the Cowboys. That uh, all that stuff about the greater good and next year's draft pick and all that importance will go out of the window just because I want to see Jerry Jones's smug plastic surgery up face uh, frown from defeat. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, look, Ralph, I, I think at the end of the day, you want the Saints to draft smart. You don't really care as much about where they pick. I mean, if you look at Reggie Bush, was he a good pick for the Saints at number two? Yeah, he was decent, but um, there was probably a lot of better picks they could have made at number two in 2006. They were better football players that, than Reggie Bush turned out to be in the NFL. And, um, you know, Cedric Ellis was a top six pick, or I can't remember. Seven, they traded four. up to get him. Seven. Okay, so he was a seven pick, and he was probably the worst top ten pick the Saints have ever had. So, you know, I, I care less about where they're picking um, and more about just picking well. Um, you know, a team mix, I thought they picked well this year. Sorry, Hicks. Hicks. Ah, I just pulled it out. Um, but no, a team Hicks in the third round was a terrific pick this year. And so, you know, I'm less interested in, you know, are they going to pick 8 or 12? I'm more interested in them picking well. Um, and so from that standpoint, as far as the season's concerned, um, I can't root for them to lose. You know, they, they need to win. They need to play well. They need to make a statement for next year. How do you, one last thing and then you can get out of here because and by the way people Andrew is playing hurt tonight. Uh, he had to withdraw from his tennis match because his his uh, his child gave him the death flu and he is on the podcast tonight hurt. Um, <laughs> do you believe I don't take much stock in a team finished well so it carries over? I mean Philadelphia won their last four games last year. It didn't carry, carry over for shit for them. Uh, John Forcade way, way, way back in the day played three good games at the end of a season and the Saints thought he was the quarterback instead of Bobby Hebert and he went back to being terrible. So I'm not a big believer in momentum carrying over for the team but I do believe it, it can work individually for players. If, you know, if, if, like we said, the safeties, if they play well for two more games, they'll be feeling really good about themselves. That may carry over for them. But I don't believe in momentum carrying over for the team. What do you – you? I would say you obviously disagree maybe. No, I agree with you because um, each each season is a different season. Um, the rosters are different. Um, you know, each each year has a different iteration. You know, so even if you look at 2009 when the Saints won the Super Bowl and last year when they were 13-3, and three, the turnover was immense. I mean, there was just – a high number of players that were no longer on the team from that Super Bowl year. And this year, it's even more dramatic, you mm-hmm. know, the change. And, and look, I mean, you know, Shanley's going to be out the door this year. We don't really know what's going to happen with Zoma. We don't know what's going to happen with Bushrod. You know, it's going to happen with Will Smith. Henderson's probably going to be gone. So, 
Uh, there's going to be a lot of new faces. Uh, there's going to be more turnover and, and, and less guys from the Super Bowl champion team. Um, so, you know, I think every year is a new year and it's a different year. Um, but I just think I think it sets the tone for who the Saints are as an organization. In other words, it, it's saying we're professionals. We're not one of those teams like the Raiders or the Bengals. Or, you know, the Bengals are finally kind of getting out of that stage. But, you know, we're not one of those teams that's 4-10 and, and, and nails in the last two games of the year and just doesn't try. You know, no, we're, we're one of those teams that's professional. It's a different attitude. It's a different thing. And you'd be surprised, like, that, that impresses people. And I think even in down times when you're performing like that till the end, players, you know, they realize, hey, the Saints still got it. That's a team I still want to go to. You know, as opposed to, oh, man, they they went 5-11 and 11 this year. Drew Brees is finished. I don't want to play for them anymore. You know, it's it's. I, I still think you can send a message when you have some adversity and you play till the end and you play hard till the end that, you know, this is the way the organizations run. Yeah, and, well, and you, you, yeah, you can't, you can't quantify just what kind of impact it has on so many different things. Well, no, and that's true and well said because Joe Vitt, actually the media said after the Tampa game, the locker room was closed for a little bit longer than it usually is because Joe Vitt was still talking to the team. And like you say, he's a good emotional guy. And I think, you know, listening to his press conference today, I think he was really, really – they're really they're really proud of themselves that they they showed up and they kicked Tampa's ass and Tampa had way more to play for than the Saints. I mean, if Tampa would have won yesterday, they'd be in pretty good shape. I mean, hell, if the Saints were seven and seven, they'd be in pretty good shape. I mean, because the NFC teams, it doesn't seem like anybody wants that freaking six seed. Um, you know, so for I mean, for Tampa to go out and let, I mean to lay an egg like that, Andrew. If I was a Tampa fan, I would have huge red flags. I mean, if, if flip it around, if the Saints were six and seven and had gone to Tampa and got beat forty-one to nothing, what the fuck would we be saying today? Well, that's that's kind of my point, Ralph. Is okay if you look in the standings, the Bucks and the Saints are dead even. They're both six and eight. But you're a free agent next year. You see that. You see that game. It makes a statement. Now, which team would you prefer to play for? You know, which team is a free agent? I mean, money aside, and, you know, Tampa has a nice salary cap situation, so they can probably throw a lot of money at someone. But that aside, which organization would you rather play for next year? You know, and and I I think that's obvious for any football player. So, um, again, I I just think it sends a message. And I I think, you know, juxtaposed to that, um, the Buccaneers sent the message that we're just the same old truckers. Yeah, well, they're 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 already turning against their coach. For anybody that likes to go to pro football talk, they had a lot of fun articles on them today. Um, but Andrew, hopefully, uh, when I talk to you next Monday, hopefully the Saints will be uh, seven and eight. And uh, if I had to, if I had to t- t- give me odds on if the Saints will, s- well, you think they're going to lose, so that would eliminate them. But uh, I still think it's a fifty-fifty shot that they're going to be still alive for a playoff spot going into week 17. I know that's I know it's nuts and I know it's not going to happen because there's no way all the NFC teams that are eight have eight wins could all lose twice more. But I think it's I think this 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 zombie playoff dream is just going to drag on for one more week. Call me. I could buy I could buy every game on the schedule except Chicago Zona. Oh, I just God. feel like Arizona's got no shot. You know what it was too? If they'd have lost this week, Andrew, I'd feel great about it because I, I, my thought is they started four and zero. They're not going to go four and twelve, but they got the win against Detroit. Like they, they broke yeah. this. But the thing is, I, I watched some of that, um, the the Bears game on my iPod, the, the the iPad, the replay. God, Chicago is so their their line is so bad. They basically their defense is beat up. Their offensive line sucks. And they can't run the ball. And Jay Cutler is like us in Tecmo Bowl. He's just throwing it to Brandon Marshall every single play. So it's not like I I feel like the Saints are going to win and we're going to be on Twitter and the Bears are going to break our heart or something weird is going to happen in that game. I just I, I don't think I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park for the Bears, but we'll see. Well, let's let's be let's be Dallas first before we worry about all that other stuff. Yeah. But uh, 
I, I just want to see. I just want to see Jerry Jones' plastic face melt. That's what I want. <laughs> All right, Andrew. Go, people go to SaintsNation.com. The man played. The man played played hurt today. Go to Saints Nation. Read his grades. Read all his stuff. Read his previous. It's fantastic. Andrew, as always, uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Rob. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.